Willkommen, bienvenue, and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Candide. I'm bad, playing such a very dirty trick on such a fine land. I'm a low cat, I'm a low cat. Every time I do this sort of thing, it makes me so sad, ever so sad. Oh, but I'm bad, ever so bad. Have a jolly trip across the foam. Santa Rosalia, do have a safe and pleasant journey. But first, how are we doing? I hope this episode finds you well. I have an announcement in regards to the Cream Pie Cutie Club. It seems to be all that we talk about here at the top of these episodes anymore. Oh, boys, cute boys, we can't get enough of them. We got a suggestion for a Cream Pie Cutie from a listener and Twitter user, Una. Hello, Una. Una suggested that we induct Chris McCarl of Les Miserables and the Lightning Thief into the Cream Pie Cutie Club, and here's what I have to say to that. Here's my decision, Una. He's in, baby! Now, for the record, there are only two requirements. I don't know if we've really gone into this, but there are only two requirements for someone becoming a member of the CPCC, okay? They have to have at least one Broadway or West End credit, and they need to be someone who could put me on my back and turn me into a cream pie. Oh, goodness gracious. Now, the second requirement is crucial. One would think sometimes that it's the only requirement, but we can only have that discussion, the cream pie put me on my back discussion, once they have cleared the first hurdle, right? So send in your suggestions for cream pie cuties. Send them via Twitter. Our Twitter profile is Musical Man Pod, or if you want to send them via email, email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Oh my god, wait a minute. How is Tom Holland not in the club? He starred in Billy Elliot on the West End. How is he not the president of the Cream Pie Cutie Club? Oh boy, out of the way, Isaac Powell. Tom's in charge now. Tom's my number one celebrity crush. I was not a fan of how often he said bro when chatting with Justin Bieber. Bro, bro, such a big fan, bro. Not a fan of that. But I'll let it slide because he's such a cream pie cutie. And he's now a member and the president of the Cream Pie Cutie Club. I haven't done that in a while. That little song, that's fun. Let's get the show facts regarding this week's subject, Candide. Candide was a 1957 nominee of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on December 1st, 1956 at the Martin Beck Theater and ran for 73 performances. The book was written by Lillian Hellman and is based on the 1759 novella by philosopher Francois-Marie Arouette, a.k.a. Voltaire, a.k.a. Dr. Ralph, which was his pseudonym, no lie. The original French title of the novella, Candide, ou l'optimisé, has been retrofitted for English in a variety of ways, including Candide, or All for the Best, Candide, or The Optimist, Candide, Optimism, and my personal favorite, Candide, or Optimism, translated from the German of Dr. Ralph, with the additions found in the doctor's pocket when he died at Minden in the year of grace, 1759. Voltaire was chiefly inspired by Gottfried Wilhelm Leibniz, a polymath and fellow philosopher of the Enlightenment, who, among other achievements, invented the term theodicy. A theodicy seeks to, quote, make the existence of an all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-good or omnibenevolent God consistent with the existence of evil or suffering in the world, quote. In other words, a theodicy is an answer to the question, if God is so great, why is the world so fucked up? 
Leibniz explored this idea via his 1714 text, Monadology, which in turn led to the philosophical movement known as optimism. Optimism claims the world in which we live is, quote, the best of all possible worlds since it was created by God. Voltaire thought this philosophy was, shall we say, stupid, especially in light of events like the Seven Years' War and Lisbon Earthquake of 1755. He thus decided to satirize the optimist movement along with religion, God, government, and other institutions via the deceptively comic and lighthearted Candide. Candide was initially banned in Paris by the Grand Council of Geneva, though it went on to sell around 30,000 copies in its first year and is widely considered a classic today. Well, there are those who would say it isn't a true classic because of its short length. They would characterize it as a miniature classic, but who cares about those people, those penance? Those people aren't getting invited to the Zoom hangouts, come on. One additional tidbit, the novella was banned in the U.S. as late as 1929 when a customs official prevented copies from being shipped to Harvard University. Per said official, quote, for years we've been... <laughs> <laughs> Let's try and do some sort of Boston accent, shall we? This will be fun. Oh, the customs official was from Boston, I should say. For years, we've been letting that book get by. There were so many different editions that we figured the book must be all right. Then one of us happened to read it. It's a filthy book, like buying a donut, quote. The music for Candide was written by Leonard Bernstein. Hello, Lenny. The lyrics were by Richard Wilbur, John Latouche, and Dorothy Parker. The director was Tyrone Guthrie, the music musical director was Samuel Crotch Malnick. <laughs> I apologize, Samuel. Sammy, I'm sorry. Choreographer Wallace Seibert and Anna Sokolow. The scenic design was by Oliver Smith. The lighting design was by Paul... The lighting design was by Paul Morrison. Hello there, Paul. Sound design, we don't have that, so that's an N.A. scenario. Costume design, Irene Sheriff, and the original Broadway cast included... Here we go, Max Adrian, Barbara Cook, who rose to fame as a result of this production, Ira Patina, Robert Roundsville, Boris Aplin, Conrad Bain, Joseph Bernard, William Chapman, Robert Cosden, Louis Edmonds, Maria Novotna, William Alvis... Norman Rowland and Maude Shearer. Now that is a very abridged cast list, okay? There are 44 cast members listed on the Internet Broadway database. I just want to tell you that, let you know we left a lot of names off and I don't want to, I don't want to piss off any ghosts. Some of these people might still be around, but I have a feeling most of them are ghosts right now. So please don't come and haunt me. Boo, 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 boo. Tony Nods. Now, Candide, in its original form, did not win any Tony Awards. Sad, but true. But it was nominated for five awards. It was nominated for Best Musical, of course, or else we wouldn't be talking about it. Of course, of course, but also Best Feature Actress in a Musical, Ira Patina, Best Scenic Design, Oliver Smith, Best Costume Design, Irene Sheriff, and Conductor and Musical Director. You don't see this category anymore. Conductor and Musical Director, Samuel Krochmalnik. Krok Malnik, let's go with that so I don't stop so I don't keep saying crotch. Krok Malnik. Sounds like a snack. Pass the Croc Malnicks, please. So five nominations and zero awards at the end of the day. I do have a few notes here regarding subsequent productions of Candide revivals. Candide's original book writer, Lillian Hellman, who we cited a moment ago, refused to let anyone use her work when the show was heading back to Broadway in the 1970s. I have no idea why that was the case. Let's just go with it. So an entirely new book by Hugh Wheeler was commissioned by director Hal Prince. Hal's revival, which removed over half of the musical numbers, was known as the Chelsea version of Candide, as it first ran at the Brooklyn Academy of Music's Chelsea Theatre Center before opening on Broadway in 74. Candide was then expanded for a 1982 New York City opera staging, which is generally known as the Opera House version of the show. Bernstein then went on to develop a definitive version that opened on Broadway in 97, and that version was retooled even further with a new book by John Card, Caird Card, for a production at the Royal National Theatre in 99. Confused yet? I am! Throughout this long and complicated history, several additional artists have contributed new lyrics and revisions to Candide's book, including the aforementioned Lillian Hellman, Stephen Sondheim, John Marseri, John Wells, 
and Leonard Bernstein himself. I'm probably missing a few names from this list, but I can only do my best. Tracking this shit is hard, okay? It's hard. Let's talk about the plot. Now, I'm basing my summary on what Wikipedia lists as the plot of the original Broadway production. Of course, the show has evolved since then. The story has changed. As I said, Candide has a complicated history. So there you go. I, I can't defend myself any further. I'm doing the best I can. Our tale begins in the prosperous nation of Westphalia, where our hero, Candide, is set to marry the lovely Cunegonde. Candide pictures a simple, earthy life of farming and raising children, while Cunegonde yearns, yearns for the high life in Paris. Wee oui, wee! Oui. Their teacher, Dr. Pangloss, reminds them that the world in which they live is the best of all possible worlds. This optimistic Panglossian philosophy has been fed to Candide for years now, and he assumes it to be entirely true. And why wouldn't he? Nothing has ever gone wrong in Westphalia. That is, until the neighboring Republic of Hesse declares war on Westphalia and reduces it to rubble. Candide and Dr. Pangloss are separated and Cunegonde is killed. War, am I right? What are you gonna do? Candide eventually reunites with Pangloss in Lisbon, where the good doctor reveals he's lost his nose and a few fingers to syphilis. Our heroes are soon branded as heretics and sentenced to hang by agents of the Inquisition, but a terrible earthquake destroys the country and kills Dr. Pangloss in the process. Earthquakes! I mean, what are you gonna do? Candide isn't sure how all of these tragedies can be reconciled by Panglossian philosophy, but he shrugs off this creeping sense of unease. It can't be the philosophy's fault, he thinks. Surely the fault must be with me. Mine! Slam cut to Paris, where Cunegonde, still very much alive, serves as a kept woman to a marquis and a sultan. Now, later versions of Candide turned these characters into a grand inquisitor or a cardinal archbishop and Don Issachar, who is repeatedly referred to as the Jew. Yeah, not great. Cunegonde confesses to her chaperone, an old lady known simply as the Old Lady, that while her new life may be luxurious, the loss of her purity has taken a great toll. Candide kills Cunegonde's jealous masters, and with the Old Lady in tow, our lovers decide to skip town on a pilgrim ship headed to the New World. Quick note, later versions make it clear how the Cardinal Archbishop is given a classy funeral, while Don Issachar, the Jew, is thrown into a sewer. That's the kind of comedy you can sometimes find in Candide. <laughs> <laughs> ha ha ha, question mark? When the ship arrives in Buenos Aires, Candide and the pilgrims are enslaved by the local governor, who takes a liking to Cunegonde. Fearing this may be her only chance to save Candide, she agrees to sleep with the governor, but only if he marries her first. The governor detests the idea of marriage, but he really wants to sleep with Cunegonde, and so he agrees to her terms. Candide, now a free man, vows to win his love back after striking it rich in El Dorado, end of Act 1. Act 2, three years later. The governor has yet to marry Cunegonde and is thoroughly dissatisfied by her presence, so he stuffs her and the old lady into sacks and sets them adrift on a ship headed for Europe. Candide, freshly returned from El Dorado and flush with gold, sets out to rescue the woman in a boat that immediately sinks. But all is not lost. Dr. Pangloss is alive and back on the scene. People come and go so quickly throughout Candide, you really do get used to it after a while. Slam cut to Venice, where Cunegonde and the old lady have been employed by Ferone, the wicked owner of a gambling hall. Candide and Dr. Pangloss attend one of Ferone's costume parties and are subsequently robbed by Cunegonde and the old lady. Everyone's wearing masks, I should say, and when Cunegonde's mask falls off mid-theft, it winds up being the final straw for poor Candide. Panglossian philosophy has failed him. Sweet Cunegonde has been reduced to thieves. Thievery. Surely this is not the best of all possible worlds. In the end, all of the characters reunite amidst the ruins of war-torn Westphalia. Candide rejects the blind optimism of youth and vows to live as a pragmatic man who helps others. Because, truth be told, people have a lot of work to do if this world has any hope of achieving perfection. Oh, and he marries Cunegonde. Finally! Yay! For the purposes of this week's episode, I listened to the 1956 original Broadway 
cast album, which I purchased thanks to our generous Patreon donors. Yes, that money comes in every month, and it allows me to buy cast albums such as these. I also, okay, so at that point I went on to watch on YouTube, this is available in full, the 1988 BBC telecast of a Scottish opera production of Candide. Now, a BBC broadcaster relays how this production was directed by Jonathan Miller and John Wells. Additionally, the performance was attended by Leonard Bernstein, his sister, and the Duchess of Gloucester. The Duchess of Gloucester, how fancy. Now, I cannot underscore this enough. I'm an absolute greenhorn when it comes to Candide. I had never seen it performed before watching this telecast, so do me a favor, put that famous grain of salt on the tip of your tongue before lapping up my strong, saucy opinions. Have you done as much? Good. Almost nothing about this Scottish production, this Scottish opera production, I should say, stuck to my ribs or heart. Candide is a monster of a piece, that much is obvious, and watching it should be like tucking in with a plate of hearty, nourishing food. That plate should be heavy, I tell ya. It should be a feast for the senses. But this staging felt intentionally lean and stingy, like a boiled potato bobbing about in a bowl of broth. I'm hungry! There's a dark strain of humor in this version of the book that could only hope to land if the cast is consistently arch in their delivery. If you tackle this material with the power and intensity of a bomb, I'm likely to guffaw out of sheer shock and awe. Instead, the near-constant barrage of jokes regarding violence and rape are delivered with glassy-eyed ennui, and so I'm left to shift in awkward silence. From what I can tell, this is exactly how their audience reacted. A lot of charitable laughter. The performance isn't entirely brittle. There are broader bits of physical comedy, but they're too obviously choreographed and call attention to themselves. I get how we're hearkening back to the grand telegraphed gesturing of classical opera. I realize one needs to sing from the diaphragm and cannot afford to flop about too much, but loosen up a bit. Get the starch out of your breeches. This is a comedy for crying out loud. My session with the OBC album led me to assume most productions of Candide would utilize splashy, elaborate visuals, boatloads of flowers, painted backdrops, Easter-colored costumes. You get the picture. You see what I was uh, imagining in my head, don't you? And perhaps that is the standard, and the Scottish opera chose to pivot from that standard. Their scenic and costume designs were, to my dismay, uniformly dim and drab. The set is comparable to a linoleum-lined asylum, and could double for a mounting of Marat Saad, and when the rare flashy dress, let's say, is allowed to make an appearance, it only reminds you of how everything else looks hopelessly sunbaked. Give me Candide by way of Moulin Rouge, I say. Yes, well, the stark designs reflect and, you know, supplement the stark humor. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's boring to look at. Contrast the stark humor with visual gaiety and get out of my face already. It's interesting because it's boring. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shush, shush, shush. And I hate to be a carping snit, do I, about this, but could we clear away the clutter on stage? If your set is an empty room, you have to be keenly aware of how the space is filled. And after nearly three hours, the Scottish opera stage was littered with puppets, palm trees, battleships, and miscellaneous doodads. The directors would like us to view these objects as if they're photos in a scrapbook. My, such adventures our Candide has had. But all I could wonder was, why am I in someone's musty old attic? I'm a celebrity. Get me out of here. On the plus side, nearly everyone in the cast sings quite well, and I suppose that's 90 to 95% of the battle, isn't it? The actor playing Pangloss is a bit of a croaking dud, unfortunately. Here's the problem with the Scottish opera production in a nutshell, okay? This is how I crystallize it. This is exactly what a Julie Taymor show would look like if it were directed by men. Jonathan Miller and John Wells are cribbing so hard from her bread and puppet playbook, her sensibility, and it doesn't feel authentic at all. This is merely a scattered hodgepodge of watered-down concepts. I also, huh? I listened to the 1974 Broadway Revival cast album. This is the only recording of Candide I had before tackling this subject this week. If the version, okay, here's what I have to say about the 74 album. If the version of Candide you choose to produce, and I think most of them do at this point, they, they tend to include Voltaire as an onstage narrator, an onstage character. Don't slow it down, okay? Don't ham it up as Voltaire. I'm talking to the actors and directors right now. Just let 
let that narration flow from Voltaire. Don't, don't fucking, don't indulge. Okay, don't do bits as Voltaire. Comedies live or die on their pace, and I, I cannot abide the idea of an indulgent Voltaire performance, and that's exactly what we get on the 74 album. The 74 album makes a lot of room for the character, and after a while, I was absolutely sick of him. It's a strong album overall, but Voltaire is not nearly as funny as the production team would like us to think. Here's a proposition. Just cut Voltaire and give his dialogue to the ensemble. Let everyone be a narrator, huh? The Scottish opera production winds up largely phasing Voltaire out so the cast can take over his duties, so I have no idea why they kept him around in the first place. Either commit to your device or dispose of it. And finally, I purchased and listened to the 1997 Broadway revival cast album Let It Never Be Said That I Did Not Fully Dive Into the Deep End of Candide, okay? Andrea Martin is on this album as the old lady. Oh my god, this is not a drill. Her presence puts this recording far above the 74 album, though I would ultimately recommend the OBC recording above all else. Andrea Martin, my god, what a treasure. What a gem, the star of Little Italy. This production loves her so much, it gives her character two false entrances into the story. Shameless? Yes. Necessary? Yes. The 97 album earns additional points over 74 by not including every line of goddamn dialogue from the book. At the end of the day, I want a cast album. I'm here for music, not a radio play. Wham, me baby. Wham, wham, wham. Me want what I want. Shout Factory released a Blu-ray of the 2004 concert production that starred Kristen Chenoweth and Patti Lapone, but you cannot rent this online and YouTube only provides a few clips. Alas! But I will probably purchase that Blu-ray as it's only $20 and I do enjoy supporting Shout Factory. Plus, the costumes and makeup would appear to be more in line with my bubblegum homo style. Plus, 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 based on those YouTube clips, it's actually funny. <laughs> Imagine a funny production of the farcical romp, Candide. Who would have thunk it? Okay, let's talk about the score, starting with the overture. trivia. Candide's Overture was first performed in a concert setting by the New York Philharmonic Orchestra with Bernstein acting as the conductor. That was in 1957, and within two years it had been performed by nearly 100 additional orchestras. The Overture has since gone on to become one of the most frequently played orchestral pieces by a 20th century American composer. I can see why it's a thoroughly courageous composition, displaying a level of confidence and bravado that won me over instantly. The jubilant nature of the overture is reflected in the OBC album artwork, which I would love to see brought to life on stage. Give me a rowdy procession bearing enormous multicolored flags, each one bearing the names of those who contributed to the production. Am I wearing my conical director's cap right now? You bet I am, baby. Take a look at the OBC album artwork and tell me you wouldn't want to see that parade fully realized on stage. They would march across the stage as the overture plays out. It would be fantastic. Shush, I'm in charge. This is how I win, etc. P.S. The overture is prime fodder for a third Fantasia film. Come on, give me a call, Disney. Give me a call. Which just goes to prove that everything's for the best in this best of all possible worlds. Of which, if I may say so, Westphalia is the center. Look at this view. 
Mountains and towers, green meadows too, bursting with flowers. This is the heart of this best of all possible worlds. Quite the best part of this best of all possible worlds. This is the heart of this best of all possible worlds. Men are lean, handsome and active. Where have you seen girls more attractive? None has more grace in this best of all possible worlds. No finer race in this best of all possible worlds. No finer race in this best of all possible worlds. No better place in this best of all possible worlds. But best of all, we now convene with... Max Adrian's performance as Dr. Pangloss led me to believe the character was a doddering, if well-meaning, fool, a man who bought into his own teachings and wanted the best for his pupils. It was deflating to discover how, in the Scottish opera production at least, Pangloss is little more than a lecherous, preening twit, someone who was too proud to admit they're full of shit. How could I have been misled in this way? Max Adrian sounded utterly earnest and parental. I trusted his Pangloss. I should have understood my interpretation was off when Dr. Pangloss contracted syphilis. Dude lost a nose because he couldn't stop fucking the maid. Why did I believe he was Santa Claus? Perhaps I'm just starved for a trustworthy authority figure in this, the worst of all possible worlds. Nevertheless, this musical introduction to Pangloss is a delight. It inspires me to do a jig, one that involves a lot of pointing. I'm pointing right now, I'm not doing the jig, but I am pointing a lot. Soon when we feel we can afford it, we'll build a modest little farm. We'll buy a yacht and live aboard it, rolling in luxury and stylish charm. Cows and chickens. Social worlds. Peas and cabbage. Ropes of pearls. Once beside us, we'll have a sweet Westphalian home. Somehow we'll grow as rich as Midas. We'll live in Paris when we're not in Rome. Smiling baby. Marble halls. Sunday picnic. Costume balls. Okay, okay, help me out here, my musical minions. I need your help. This dynamic between Candide and Cunegonde is really familiar to me, and it's driving me nuts. Now, on the one side, you have Candide extolling the virtues of cows and chickens, peas and cabbage, and on the other, you have Cunegonde, who dreams of yachts and pearls. I mean, you heard the clip. These two have diametrically opposed outlooks, right? And I can't help but wonder, here's the sticking point for me that I can't get around. Is there another example from pop culture which plays on that same sort of dichotomy, something similar to that? Am I crazy? I know that it's right there on the tip of my tongue, and I hope that we can figure it out, <laughs> that it'll strike me like a lightning bolt by the end of this episode. Uh, I'm sure we'll figure it out. Let's just move on for now, put a pin in that. Candida and Kunaganda are supremely likable figures, and I have a fair amount to say, shocking, about how they should be portrayed. For now, I merely want to appreciate their gee whiz positivity. These kids are bursting out to the seams to start playing house, and they have no idea what life has in store for them. They're actually very much like Matt and Louisa from The Fantastics in that way. And I was thinking when I wrote that down that maybe Fantastics, The Fantastics, was the other source, the pop culture source that I was trying to hit upon. But then I thought, no, that I'm still getting a nagging feeling. I don't know what it is. We'll keep a pin in that issue. We'll hit upon it soon, I'm sure, I assure you. My world is dust now And all I loved is dead Oh, let me trust now In what my master said There is a sweetness in must be so it must be so
protagonists like Candide and Pippin appeal to me because they're so goddamn dopey and are constantly stumbling through life. I would be all about playing Candide, but I could never hope to sing that part. Are you kidding me? Did you even listen to the clip we just played? It must be so, more like it must be so hard to sing these songs. I can play Pippin. I should have already played Pippin, but the role of Candide will forever be beyond my grasp. Did you ever sit back, side note, and wonder what it would be like to be the most talented person in a given artistic field? Like, not just talented, the most talented in history. And everyone recognized it, there was no debate, there was no argument. All I'm saying is, if Eartha Kitt, if you remember this device, Eartha Kitt, if she were to come to me as the devil, Wait, <laughs> it's the other way around. If the devil were to come to me as Eartha Kitt, okay, we're back on track. And if she were to offer to strike up a deal with me, I'd probably take it. I want to sing opera, okay? But Eartha would have to visit me during a recording session, okay? We would have to get that conversation on mic. This is my soul we're talking about. The battle for my soul is prime podcasting content. on the Scottish opera production of Candide, I admit it, but their staging of Glitter and Be Gay is an excellent example of why I never got on board with it in the first place. Miller and Wells root their Cunegonde firmly to the apron, and while she's occasionally allowed to glance at the old lady, the majority of her time is spent staring out into the darkness of the house. The whole point of Glitter and Be Gay is to show our heroine swinging between despair and glee. Cunegonde technically has what she's always wanted, wealth, but it came with an awful cost, and the guilt she's experiencing is driving her batty. There are laughs to be found in that premise, but you won't earn them by having Cunegonde deliver a recitation. The lyrics simply aren't that funny. You need to take full advantage of the medium and make Cunegonde an active player on the stage. She's not a statue. She's a human being, right? And there's a physical component to this comedy you cannot afford to ignore. It's very bizarre to me that anyone would ignore the physical side of comedy, the opportunities that come with that side of comedy. The 2004 concert understands this necessity for physical comedy. Kristen Chenoweth is relishing the number. This is available on YouTube. She's employing an array of cheeky bits that leaves her audience in stitches. She's hurling herself onto a love seat. She's bouncing on her heels like a schoolgirl. Hell, she swings a 40-foot string of pearls around her neck like a high-class rodeo clown. 
None of this reads as a distrust of the material, by the way. The bits work in tandem with the material. They need it to be there if the song is going to achieve its full potential. If you're standing, if you're stranding, I should say, your actor on the apron and telling them to let a song speak for itself, you're a lazy director who is devoid of ideas. There's a time for simplicity and stillness, and then there's time for goofiness. And this is a goofy number. This isn't a TED Talk, okay? This isn't Sally singing Life is a Cabaret in a hot spotlight. This is glitter and be gay, okay? Help your actor to glitter and be gay. Ah, ah, is it true? Is it true? be so. You were dead, you know. You were shot and bayoneted too. That is very true. Oh, but love will find a way. Then what did you do? Dead, you know, is basically a perfect one-liner. Few jokes can leap over the sands of time and land at your feet, looking as fresh as the day they were conceived, but this one gets the job done. Candida and Kunaganda should be played with the utmost level of sincerity. I get how this would sound like a dreadfully obvious statement. They're the ingenues. Of course, they should be played with sincerity. What I mean to say is, Candida and Kunaganda should read as painfully human, especially when compared to the more stylized characters they encounter. If we accept this couple as being made of flesh and bone, we'll be able to attach our hopes to and empathize with them, and when they finally fall into each other's arms for the finale, we'll experience an honest-to-God emotional reckoning. I don't care how cynical your musical is, the audience will always need someone they can identify with, and so I would advise against turning our heroes into bloodless paper dolls. Human and flesh and bone are not to be considered synonymous with plain and boring, by the way. The actors who play Candida and Kunaganda should have just as much fun as the rest of the cast. You should be giving them all sorts of gags and ideas to play with, but they need to be moving through the circus of life as observers and not as participants. Can I be honest? I just don't trust most actors would get this and will be inclined to go as big as their co-stars. So be prepared to keep those dopes grounded. Rain them in. Actors are dopes. I say this as someone who used to act. I was not born in Buenos Aires. My father came from Robna Guberna. assimilated. I am so easily assimilated. I never learned a human language. My father spoke a high middle Polish. In one half hour I'm talking in Spanish. Por favor, toreador, I am easily assimilated. I am so easily assimilated. has a confident swagger throughout I'm easily assimilated that charms the heck out of me, mainly because it would appear her confidence is totally misplaced. Andrea Martin's version is the best, of course. She's not a chameleon, the character is not a chameleon who can easily glide between social circles. She's obvious, she's loud, it's a wonder she's made it this far, that's the joke. If anything, the old lady is a tourist who assumes they can adopt cultures like their stylish hats. I was in London for two days and I developed an accent. Everyone thought I was a native. Can you believe it? Sure thing, Becky. I have suffered a lot and I'm certainly not unaware that this life has its blessings. 
Taken as a whole, quiet, the number quiet, isn't an especially memorable number, but it does reference how the old lady only has one butt cheek, and so I thought it was worth mentioning. It's my favorite part of the plot, and I, I didn't get into this, but it really is. It's the best part. The old lady has one buttock. The other buttock chopped off and eaten. Yum. <laughs> I mean, no. I'm not a cannibal. I don't want to eat a buttock, do I? Ooh, Candide is wild, man. It's sending me places. Yum, a yummy buttock. Okay, let's move on. Then down a primrose mountain, across a sea shall see, to a land of happy people, just and kind and bold and free. Candide has like what? Six or seven solos throughout this show. Do me a solid can can. Hush a bit while I listen to the people of El Dorado. Their choral refrain is gorgeous and it's only undermined by your interruptions, okay? Bizarrely, the 74 revival cuts this sequence in its entirety and replaces it with something called Sheep's Song. And I'm not even going to bother playing it for you. It's nearly six minutes long and forces everyone in the cast to bleat like idiots, to say it's tedious would be a charitable understatement. Oh, it really does. It pales in comparison to the lovely El Dorado chorus. The real question is, can Leonard Bernstein's El Dorado hold a candle to Elton John's El Dorado? No, it cannot. Sorry, Lenny, we stand an underrated DreamWorks musical around these parts. Oh. I have always been wily and clever at deceiving and swindling and such. And I feel just as clever as ever. But I seem to be losing my touch. Oh, I'm losing my touch. Yes, I'm clever, but where does it get me? My is no use in this gym joint not a sue have i made on her yet and the one thing that pays in this clip joint is my fraudulent game of roulette is my game of roulette but i have to pay so much protection to the chief of police and his men that each day when he makes his collection i'm a poor man all over again What's the use of this honest endeavor and being so clever? It's wrong, oh, so wrong, if you just have to pass it on. The line drawn by What's the Use underscores the futility of living a rotten life. The old lady pries money from gamblers and hands that money to Ferone, who uses it to bribe the chief of police. But the chief of police is in the pocket of an extortionist, and the extortionist plays roulette at Ferone's gambling hall. Ah, I can appreciate the satirical efficiency of this insidious loop. It's rock-solid stuff, though I can't help but wish 
wish for the song to widen its scope even further. Voltaire may have thought every man, regardless of his station, was doomed to live in some sort of servitude, but we've come to understand as a society that this simply is not true. There are a great number of privileged individuals who operate as free agents, essentially. They don't answer to anyone, and you can't really shame or punish them. And when you notice how no one in Candide fits that description, the absence rings loud and clear. But I don't actually expect the piece to address this issue. Candide has been rewritten to death, and I don't need some random character to, I don't know, look like Donald Trump. That would be awful. So I'm going to let this one go. It's my issue, not the show's issue. The show has other issues that we do need to... We need to go back to the drawing board when it comes to more than a few elements within the plot. But uh, in regards to this, this one number, I'm just going to take my hands away. I'm going to remove my hands from the piece. I don't want to mess it up. garden grow. Oh my goodness. Reduces me to pure pedestrian blather. I'm over here like, yes, we stand perfection, such spice we have not seen, etc. There are so many reasons to classify this song as one of the canon's best. I mean, I don't have to say it. It very much is widely considered to be one of the best in the canon, and I'll do my best to get through those reasons in a fairly succinct fashion, but no promises. Let's start with how simply and expertly Bernstein lays his foundation. The first few notes of Make Our Garden Grow, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, those appear at the top of many Candide solos, like a flicker existing just beyond the character's periphery. This is the truth our hero so desperately wants to claim, snatch up that pivotal eureka moment that consistently slips through his fingers. And when Candide does come into his own as a person, when screwball shenanigans are swept aside in lieu of unfiltered awe, it's beautiful. Candide made it, and just as importantly, Cunegonde made it. They've been on 
Blood Twin tracks this entire time, and life has toughened them up in equal measure. They are equals, as evidenced by the first line of the song, You've been a fool, and so have I. It's true! The show should be called Candide and Cunegonde, plain and simple. If you disagree, you're a dullard. But let's move beyond theme and talk about how wonderful it is to simply ride along with this song. Because holy cow, does Make Our Garden Grow know how to escalate? The math could not be more elementary. Start with a solo, place a duet at the center, and cap it all off with a big choral finish. Anyone could look at this formula and understand it would be effective in theory, but only an artist like Bernstein could put it into practice this well. This is heavenly, this is transcendent, and when the music drops out and the chorus sings a cappella, give me a goddamn break! Majesty defined! The 74 revival album undercuts Make Our Garden Grow, which they can't even manage to pull off well in the first place, by having Candide and Cunegonde's cow die of the pox. That's the last thing that happens in that version of the show. Ask me if I'm a fan of this joke. No, I'm not. No. I hate that shit, especially how everyone reacts with a disgusted moan. Oh, I guess the world is a big mud ball covered in pestilence and garbage. Me or Get that Trey Parker Matt Stone thinking out of my candied, please. That does it for our deconstruction of the Candide score. I do have a couple of notes here, just random observations. I've decided I would like to play the role of Vandedure, who leads the number Bon Voyage. But you didn't talk about that number, Jonathan. Yeah, I'm aware of that, and yet I want to play the part nonetheless. Once again, I only accept direct offers. I do not audition. This is not an audition for what I'm about to... This What you're about to hear is not an audition, okay? I'm just doing it for fun, okay? I'm just proving that I can do it. Oh, I'm such a bad boy, such a naughty boy. That's, that's my non-audition. I'm worried we never fucking figured out. This is driving me crazy. I never figured out what the Oh Happy We song was reminding me of. Did we not talk about that? We never did, did we? Oh, God. Okay, well, some mysteries are never meant to be solved. It's gonna drive me nuts until I die. Now, normally, this is the part of the show where we would hear from our sponsor, 5678 Coffee, but we have a brand new $10 a month patron. Their name is Carrie, and Carrie deserves a musical shout-out for being so generous, so we are going to get that musical shout-out now. Thank you, Carrie, for me, and now you're going to get a lovely message from the person that you chose. Yes, we talked about this. I'm stalling. I don't, I'm not stalling. I'm rambling is what I am. Take it away, musical shout-out. Tim Rice, please be nice, take my advice, leave a message, and don't think twice. <laughs> oh, brother. Uh, uh, Timmy, hello, my boy. <laughs> How are you? Are you there? Come on now, pick up the phone. It's Andrew. Andrew. Lord Weather? out at a time like this, Tim Tim. Social distancing, my boy, we all must do our part. Timmy, I feel I can hear you breathing. Uh, or perhaps that's me. Well, dash it all, Tim, here's the rub. I'm trying to compose a musical shout-out for our latest patron, Carrie. I've spent hours at the piano, and all I have to show for it is a great pile of stuff. Stuff and nonsense. Uh, here's a prime example. Another patron adding to the hall. Shall I take Carrie to the costume ball? You missed my call just as you always do. Cinderella's not going well. Here's another Carrie. Gives her money to podcasts. I'm addicted to Sherry. Cinderella's not going well. I could go on, but the problem's plain as day, dear boy. I need my Timmy back in the mix, back at my side, crafting lyrics. Uh, now I realize we've had our quarrels in the past, but now's the time to set aside those ancient grudges and move forward. Help us to move forward by helping me write this blasted song. Uh, 
I'm so depressed. To me, I'm a charlatan. Is that what you want to hear? I'm a thief. Everyone knows it. Even my dog knows it. Would you like to say hello to my dog? Say hello to the nice man, play shappy. <laughs> I named him after my cousin, play shappy. Look, I'll give you 10,000 crowns if you write the music and the lyrics for me. If you're interested, call me at home, okay? All right, you know the number. Just dial 47 fives and then another 47 fives. And if you're not interested, I suppose play, Shappy, and I will just have to get drunk on port wine. I'm all out of sherry, don't you know? I'm addicted to it. Uh, talk to you soon, Tim Tim, I hope, uh, cross paws. All right, play, Shappy, let's try another one here. <laughs> Carrie's money was green and 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 green and... Oh, no, no, no. Seems a bit cynical, doesn't it, play shabby? A bit materialistic. Ooh, I've gone and left the phone off its cradle. Sorry about that, Timmy. I forgot to hang up. Love your outgoing message, by the way. Not at all stupid. Final thoughts regarding Candide. If you'll indulge me, I'd like to compare my experience with Candide to my time in the world of improv. Candide is like someone you're aware of within the improv community. They seem nice, you've heard they're funny, but you've never actually had a conversation with them. And when you do, the friendship blooms instantaneously and only deepens with time. If you've been putting off Candide because it doesn't align with your usual musical tastes, do yourself a favor and try it on for size. This show has so much to offer, and I can only hope it sees another revival once Broadway is back on its feet. Now, all of that said, there is an enormous caveat that I want to provide here. You do have to get rid of the psychotic stereotypes in this show. This is not an argument. Yes, I previously stated we need to stop rewriting Candide, but if you also recall, I, <laughs> I said that that only applied to certain sections. Certain sections we should leave alone. Other elements we need to get rid of wholesale. Just throw them out the door. Throw them out the window. No one should be expected to stomach the anti-Semitic nightmare that is Don Issachar. That's the biggest example. So please, get rid of him and anything that resembles him. That shit isn't satire, it's depressing. Now, in 1957, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was My Fair Lady, and the additional nominees were Bells Are Ringing and a show we've talked about in the past, The Most Happy Fella. I'm starting to understand just how good we had it back in 1957. The Most Happy Fella may still be the winner in my book, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical, but Candide is coming in a close second. My Fair Lady can settle for a respectable third place trophy for the time being. Heaven knows it's more substantial than Bells Are Ringing. It's fine. That's a fine show. It's fine. I saw it on a boat in Cincinnati. It's fine. When it comes to ranking Candide against all of the other musicals we've talked about here on the show, I'm giving it our number 14 spot, right between number 13, The Most Happy Fella, and number 15, Ain't Misbehavin'. Congratulations, Candide. Congratulations! Show-related ephemera? Well, we are going to listen to a little bit of a video. The audio for a video of Barbara Streisand singing Make Our Garden Grow. This was very popular when I was in college, and I think it is still popular to this day with college students. That's my theory. That's my prediction. And it all has to do, it all boils down to that really crazy, I think it's 17 seconds long. She holds a final note at the end of this performance, and we're not going to, I initially thought, maybe we'll play the whole performance. We're not going to do that. We're going to give you a little bit leading up to that note, and then we're just going to let that note speak for itself. Let's drop that in now.
it gives me chills. It's insane. And just watch the video itself because she's in a very cozy recording booth. I sort of want to live within the aesthetic of that booth. <laughs> also, can someone turn that into a vaporwave track? I just want to hear what that is going to sound like filtered through vaporwave. I've been getting into vaporwave recently. <laughs> oh no, I'm becoming one of those guys. Now, at this point in the show, we would take a ride on the musical carousel. Yes, you all know this. And the carousel would take us to next week's subject. It would tell us what musical we're going to be talking about next week. But as I said earlier, we have a brand new $10 a month patron, Carrie. And so Carrie gets to decide what musical we talk about next week. And they have chosen that show. It's from the 1971 Broadway season. It ran for 705 performances. And it is Stephen Sondheim's Company. Oh, what an enormous monolithic show. We're tackling it next week. Oh, there's so much to talk about, so many options. What are we going to be dipping into? What are we going to be listening to? And you'll have to wait until next week to find out. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod. If you want to be like Carrie, if you want to support this show financially, go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. If you donate at least one dollar a month, you get Monday early access to all of these main feed shows. You don't have to wait until Wednesday. You get them on Mondays. You also get weekly verbal shout-outs. Let's do those now. Thank you so much for your generosity. Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You also get intermittent bonus episodes. Yeah, intermittent releases. <laughs> bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, my full review of Cats and my review of Chicago Shakespeare Theater's Emma. You also get access to a weekly series known as Radio Boy. The fourth episode of this series is dropping today. Well, <laughs> depending on if you get it early, it's going to be dropping on a Wednesday is the whole point. These drop on Wednesdays, okay? Radio Boy, it's a weekly short-form series for which I take a closer look at myself and the songs that make me feel more like myself. It's like an audio diary uh, with a DJ on top of it all. I don't know how to sell it to you. Oh, just get out of my face already. Now, if you donate $3 a month, you get everything I've already described. Plus, you get a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. We heard from Andrew Lloyd Webber dedicating that musical shout-out to Carrie this week. So if you want a, a musical shout-out of your own, donate $3 a month. You also get Season 1, 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast. That's true. If you donate $5 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned. Plus, you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast, just like Carrie got to do with company. And you'll get season one, 12 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. And you get access to our ongoing Broadway in Chicago review series. That's true. Finally, if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already mentioned, plus season one, 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a series dedicated to Broadway musicals that were never, never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. Your money goes toward the purchase of cast recordings, like the Candide recording. I bought this week. It also allows me to rent movie versions of the musicals we talk about, and it helps to, in general, this is a big, huge thing, it helps to offset the cost of being hosted through Podbean. If we ever come to a point where we are bringing in $100 or more in total monthly donations, I will produce a special series known as M3, The Movie Musical Man, a monthly series for which I will watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. If you're listening to the show through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to write a five star review. I would love you for it. If you're streaming, you're probably doing that through Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com or Stitcher. Follow me on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny in the booth. No! <laughs> I have that written down and Patty and Benny are here. This is really driving me nuts. I'm telling you, I had a real moment of reckoning. I... Oh, goodness, I am going stir-crazy Muppet Treasure Island cabin fever over here. Patty, Benny, I miss you. I know that you are safe and sound still to this day. Thank God. Oh, goodness gracious. We need to look out for each other. Reach out to the people that you care about. Thank you, Patty and Benny. Thank you, Alex Green, for our beautiful logo. And thank you, Zach Little, for our fabulous music. Uh, but you know what that sound means? You just heard it. Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well, we'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, Afida Shane, and good night. <laughs>